0: The idea of what thin means and looks like conventionally is so specific. It's like you're either a stick or you're fat. That's how it tends to be. (laughs) My focus right now is to love myself as I am because that has always been an issue. I don't want to associate how thin or how overweight I am with how my relationship I have with my body. Being in that mindset rather than thinking, oh, I'll lose the weight later, For me it's not even about the weight loss anymore it's more about the healthier lifestyle that's the goal the goal is the healthier lifestyle and i feel like that starts with accepting and loving myself at any size and going from there
1: heyo welcome to the asian detox podcast the podcast where we boldly reclaim asian american prosperity we have relatable conversations about how being Asian American shows up in our day-to-day lives, how money is deeply embedded in our culture, and how you can choose to define your own version of success in a world that tries to tell us how to be. I'm your host, TJ Way, your hashtag very Asian, non-binary, gluten and dairy-free money habits coach. And I want you to know that you don't have to live in the boxes other people put you in. You can design your abundant life in a way that honors your heritage, While enjoying a life of ease and alignment. And you can do it while making money and building generational wealth. Today, I'm super excited to have my friend, Hannah Pillow, on the podcast. Born and raised in South Africa, Hannah immigrated first to Turkey, then to Manchester, England, to see how the rest of the world lived. Hannah is the CEO of Wild Purpose Podcast Productions, which also produces this podcast. So Hannah and I have had some amazing conversations and I thought she would be a perfect fit for this season of the Asian Detox podcast, really focusing on self-care she most recently passed her life in the UK test, making her a permanent resident of the UK. So congratulations, Hannah, and welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi. Oh, thank you. Yes. I love how you said that. I moved to see how the rest of the world looked. I'm totally telling people that when they asked me what brought me to Manchester. <laughs> there
1: you go. Yes. A new uh, response to that, for sure. Uh, before we get too far, will you let the audience know how they can find you?
0: Absolutely. So I am on TikTok at Wildfire Purpose Podcast. So you can find me there on TikTok. You can even just search Hannah Pillow on TikTok. You will find me. And I am on Facebook at Wildfire Purpose Productions. And we have a website, www.wildfirepurposetroduction.co.uk. Yes. So those are the, the few small places you can find me. We're also releasing a podcast called releasing the shoulds of being human. So you can go and look for that as well. If you like this sort of podcast, you would love that podcast. Yes.
1: Yeah. Hannah and I really work well together because we're super into like purpose-driven conversations and the releasing the shoulds of being human is one of those where I'm super excited to hear the other episodes of the podcast because I know that Hannah and I had some great conversations when we recorded ours. So Uh, definitely check that out and that will all be in the show notes all right so icebreaker question when your mom talks about you to the community what does she say oh wow
0: (laughs) honestly i don't think my mom talks about me to the community but they must ask her about you right (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh i don't know what my mom says about me um now like I, I feel like i'm a much avoided topic if she has to say anything it would just be any recent update i've given her no, to no, no. act like she knows what's happening in my life okay yeah <laughs> you know so she'd probably be like oh yeah no she's um they bought a new house oh yeah they are doing up the bathroom she's doing really well they traveled to turkey so she'd probably just give like the most yeah recent updates of my life okay she wouldn't talk about anything like my, um, any of my accomplishments or anything like that, because her idea of accomplishments and my idea of accomplishments are very different. Yeah. So I don't even share that part of my life, like business wins and all that. I don't really share. Yeah. She probably wouldn't be able to track. Yeah.
1: I think my, my parents like sum up me running a business to like, oh, she can pay
0: her bills. Okay, great. (laughs) Like. Exactly that. Exactly that. Like, do you have enough money to live? Okay, good. Yeah, our questions done. We're, <laughs> we're all good. Well,
1: we've mentioned community. I want to talk about like, you grew up Muslim, and you practice Ramadan. So tell us what that was like.
0: Mm, interesting. You know, I've never really spoke about it. Honestly, I loved it. I loved Ramadan. The whole month was just such a it's such a community activity. You know, I think that's one thing I do miss about like that religious community is it's such a big circle to be a part of, such a big network to be a part of and everyone's taking part in this thing that is, you know, yours, which I think is kind of like the sound for cult <laughs> as well.
1: <laughs> An <laughs> argument could be made, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I loved it. I love the feeling like we would wake up in Ramadan, we would wake up early in the morning. So we'd wake up before mm-hmm. dawn to have like a meal, which would be like your your breakfast meal. And it would just be such a fun thing. To, like I hate waking up in the morning, but I always loved waking up for that dawn meal because it was such a ritual. It just felt so joyous and it just felt so different. It was something different that you were doing in this month compared to every other month mm. of the year, you know? It was like a break in the pattern and it was like a, a while. Well, look forward to break in the past awesome. so you you did not want to miss waking up for that morning meal we'd have like very cultural meals so we would have this thing called banana fry so you would chop up a banana you'd fry it in a little bit of ghee and sugar and cinnamon horribly unhealthy uh <laughs> it's
1: amazing breakfast meal though
0: it's <laughs> so good and and served with a side of chupati oh. yeah <laughs> And that's the goal of those meals were to spool you up for the whole day so you don't stop. Makes sense, makes sense. Because I always,
1: I was curious because I did have classmates that practiced Ramadan, but like I only saw them at school, so I didn't understand like, wh- do you eat at all during this month? Like, that seemed like insane to me.
0: No, yeah, no, definitely eat a lot actually. I feel like we would eat a lot more in Ramadan than any other. Like the whole thing about Ramadan became about food. It was kind of like the absence for a couple of hours made it kind of like a famine and feast kind of thing at the end of the day. So what we would do at the end of the day, we would open our fast with, um, so usually with a date and a glass of water. Then you would go and pray because there'd be a prayer. And then there would be this Feast of like savory so like it was a huge thing in south african culture you would have samosas and spring rolls and um all these like amazing foods that were like kind of again like cultural staples that you just expect there was this dish called halim which was like a lentil soup and then there'd, then there'd be an actual meal on top of that <laughs> and in some houses they would be dessert after that <laughs> So yeah, no, we eat a lot in Ramadan. We just don't eat for well, a small period of the day. <laughs>
1: okay, that's like, that's the opposite of what I had in my head. So thank you for clarifying that for us. I know we wanted to talk about your relationship with food. So it sounds like, like well, you agree food can be exciting, that it there is. can be some great aspects to food. But tell me more about why you feel you have a negative relationship to food. I
0: think because growing up in a, like, indian south african family if it's coming from two cultures that absolutely love food and that all our activity is centered around food so for example being south african we have a big braai culture which barbecue known otherwise known as barbecue it's a big braai culture and that itself is when my husband came to south africa and had his first south african braai the amount of meat just for that one Bri, he was like shocked that this is the amount of meat it could it would have fed us for the whole week, basically. <laughs> so it's like every single family get together that you have, and we would have a lot, would revolve around the food we would be eating, and it wouldn't just be one thing. It would be like, you know, you'd have the main dish, you'd have the the savories before the dish, you'd have the sweets after the dish, you'd have the tea time. It's like the household love language was food, basically.
1: I so feel that. I don't feel like we had like as elaborate meals in my household, but there was always something about eating together. And then for me, it's after dinner my dad would like peel some fruit for us or cut some fruit for us. And that was like that was our dessert. So some like I do love other forms of dessert, but for me, like there's always room for fruit. That's what it is. <laughs> like I love that. So I love that you guys had that like sense of community around food, probably more so than I experienced in my family, but it's, I'm interested in like, where, like, how do you feel about where you are with food now? Or like, do you still practice fasting at all?
0: Do you, like, I know you cook, so tell us about that. Yeah, so absolutely not. I don't practice fasting at all because that was a very much a religious thing and I'm not no longer religious. So no, uh, I miss the culture of it, but no, I don't do it. Yeah. So I would say right now, my relationship with food is, oh, it's like a, it's like a tug of war. I would say it's like, I, by this point in my life learned what my body actually needs, how much of it it needs. I understand that, you know, I understand the foods that I should be eating and, you know, like under moderation of the food that I shouldn't Uh be eating it at, like I understand all the stuff. But the actual execution of it becomes tricky, especially when I'm in very high stress situations because food has always been that comfort zone in my life. You know, it's been that source of community, that source of enjoyment, I would say. So it's always my first go-to when I'm feeling down. Oh, I need like a chocolate or I need like, you know, like a nice hearty meal would make me feel better. Because I think that is where my negative relationship with food comes from. It's like I haven't found that thing to replace that. And when I'm in my best, like, would my best life self with my health and fitness, then I'm kind of like able to substitute that urge with something else. So I, I often find that like intensive exercise works for me, long walks work for me, those kind of things work for me. But I can't at the moment concentrate on that part of my life because there's a stress and a focus on another part of my life and I'm just kind Mm. of I find it hard to focus on two things at one time
1: (laughs) yeah no I I think because first of all fundamentally as humans like food is so like such a basic need and so important it very much is like very common to default to using food for comfort or to address your moods. And there really is like a correlation to what mood you're in, to the type of food you're craving. But it sounds like on top of that, you sense that you had that sense of community that went with foods, right? It brings up memories for you. There's some nostalgia to it. So when you're like, there's a double layer of comfort that you're looking for there or that you get from foods that especially it sounds like a lot of the foods that you, you've you mentioned are like super rich mm. that like there there might be calorie intensive or super oily or fatty so that like doesn't necessarily contribute to a balanced diet and I think that's very common with cultural foods is that like every ethnic food I can think of has like way more oil than you would like recommend based off of like, at least for me, like the US nutritional recommendations does not include all of the like fats and oils that go into ethnic foods. So it sounds like you've been trying to to strike that balance. And I think it's, it's super important to note that like food is a fundamental piece that helps you also balance like your brain chemistry and your mental health. So it's not Uncommon to go to like your chocolate for uh, to, to help you balance. And it's something that like you're going to eat anyway. So you're like, might as well have something that you're going to enjoy. But I like that you talked about how when you are on top of your health, that when you exercise, it's easier to then eat a more balanced diet. How did you discover that?
0: So I kind of reached a a very unhealthy weight a few years ago and I was feeling very uncomfortable because I'm only like five foot tall. I'm like really tiny. So when I pick up even like five kilos, it looks, you can see it on me because I'm so tiny. Mm. And it's the same when I lose five kilos. So it's, it's it's kind of like a good, a good and a bad thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. you know, But it gives you
1: a narrow range
0: to work with. Exactly. Because I'm so small, so petite. So I started feeling like super uncomfortable in my body and I think it was like it was also after one of my grandmothers passed away that I became this big in my body and I kind of went into like a negative spiral at that time. I kind of gave up because I was like I go very morbid when someone dies because I lost my dad Mm. when I was six years old so I get super triggered when someone close to me dies. And I kind of went in a negative spiral of thinking, you know what, nothing matters. I'm going to die anyway, eat whatever I want. And I just went into like this negative loop and I ended up like packing on the palms. And then I one day kind of realized that my husband has two grandmothers who are well in their 90s. Like one's like 94 and one is 96, I think 92 and 96. And yeah, they're starting to deteriorate their health. Mostly their mental functions are starting to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. But they've lived like they are going to be those people who completed life, you know, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) And when I look at them, they live such different lifestyles to my own grandparents. You know, they live healthier lifestyles, they eat less traditionally unhealthy foods like the ones we grow up with you know their traditional food is not as unhealthy as our traditional food just for context (laughs) my husband's white and british just for context as well yeah the the food is very
1: different (laughs) very
0: different uh diet you know like when i go actually when i go visit his family and they serve me like salmon and vegetables and i go out and i'm like that wasn't food where's the real food
1: (laughs) oh i totally feel that right like you, you almost feel like you didn't eat anything when it was, like, boring food. Exactly.
0: <laughs> like, what is this? Like, yeah, it was enjoyable, but, like, it could have been so much better. <laughs> but, yeah. So they ate, like, more balanced meals. They walk a lot. Because in the UK, you can. Like, in South Africa, we didn't have that privilege of being able to walk a lot. But, yeah, in the UK, you can. And a lot of people take advantage of that. So his family walks a lot his grandmother does little exercises right now in her 90s. She'll get up and she was showing me the stretches that she does. And that just got me thinking that, you know, our health and fitness helps with the quality of our life. So even though, yes, I'm going to die one day, it's like, how do I want that to happen? Do I want that to happen by, you know, digging an early grave for myself and having a bad quality life in and out of hospitals? Or do I want to my goal is to finish life as they say. (laughs) I love that. Yeah.
1: Like I don't, I've never heard that before. So that's a new one for me, but I think that's, that's totally valid, right? To like go through the phases of life. And then my last remaining grandmother is in her nineties as well. And I like, I see that way of like, do you want to continue to have mobility, to have like Enough fitness that you don't have to be in and out of hospitals to be able to continue to, like live independently and do things for yourself instead of like need assisted living or have like depend on your family to help you do things around the house. Those are huge quality of life things, and it becomes whether or not you're planning to live until you're a hundred or if you're like, oh, I totally just expect to die at fifty-five. So like, no- nothing matters. Yeah. Those are two very different approaches to how you manage your
0: health. Yeah, 100%. So that that is kind of what triggered the series of events to start investing in like, I started investing in a health coach and they kind of taught me how to live, basically because ben. once I started working with them, I realized how much of misinformation we have because we not actually thought these things growing up, you know, like we thought fast or feminine, you know, like you, you either starve yourself to be thin or you eat as much as you can but nobody teaches you like, what does your body actually need? You know, how can I enjoy my food within the calories that my body needs? You know, how can I enjoy my lifestyle while still, still enjoying the chocolate I want every now and again, and not just completely writing it off as a no, no, never food. You know, how can I have pizza once in a while and not like, not every weekend? How can I live a balanced and healthy lifestyle? I feel like no one we, we not thought this growing up, you know, we we not actually given this recipe to a healthy lifestyle. Yeah.
1: As a first generation Asian American, I grew up trying to fit into the boxes other people put me in. I considered acting, voice acting and writing as career options when I was little, but ended up joining corporate America as an IT project manager to take the Asian parent approved path. The good news is it's not too late for me to follow those more creative goals. But I didn't have the energy to work both my corporate job and follow those passions. And I couldn't shake the cultural directive to be financially stable so that my parents wouldn't have to worry about me. It's so ingrained in me that it's difficult to focus on more creative pursuits or what might be considered passion projects without the financial backing to support myself. That's why I'm such a big fan of building systems and financial foundations that leverage my hashtag very Asian frugal money habits and the more expansive abundance mindset that I strive to embody every day. While sitting at my corporate job feeling like there must be more to life than this, I spend years learning and absorbing information about how to become financially independent, invest in real estate and stocks, and build a business. And now I'm on track to retire by 40. But more than that. I have the freedom to dress how I want because how I dress now is certainly not considered professional, adopt unconventional pronouns, and work fewer hours to support my physical and mental health. I get to choose what clients I work with, who I spend time with, and what boundaries I need to set in order to keep the toxic expectations and hustle culture at bay. And I want that for you too. If you're ready to make your next big money move and build the financial foundations you need to feel like you can show up as your full self, I have an offer for you. My generational wealth building money mentorship program is three months of direct access to me and my brain to cut through all of the noise and conflicting information on the internet and get you where you need to be financially. Get a wealth building strategy, action plan, curated resources, and emotional support to put you on the path
0: towards your abundant life. The link is in the show notes. So I'm just I have a person who I hate any extremes. So if you're teaching me how to do something and you are got to go to one extreme or the other, it's not going to work for me. So if you're going to tell me, cut out carbs, I'll probably do it for a little while. And then I'll be like, give me all the carbs. Where are my carbs? Yeah, so <laughs> your, your body's going to rebound the other way. Yeah. yeah, And that's why I like these coaches because they thought a very balanced and holistic way of living. And then they like kind of like even taught you like what kind of movement your body needs, what to do if your body doesn't feel like it needs movement, what could you do instead? So they were very, very practical approach to this. Yes. Very realistic. And I think working with them actually made me realize I'm not the only one who doesn't know this because now that I have this knowledge and other people talk to me about losing weight or getting healthy and they say things like, Oh, I did a couple of weights. Uh, I've been working out with weights, so I'm gaining muscle, not fat. It's actually a misconception. You don't gain muscle that quickly from lifting weights. <laughs> There's a whole process for that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's more likely they're not eating how they should be eating, and that's why they're not losing the weight they want to lose. Mm-hmm. But I hear a lot of misconceptions from people about weight loss and you know, just not understanding what their body needs and how to lose weight in a healthy way. Yeah,
1: I think some of that is like we don't all have the tools. Like, I know my roommate goes to a gym that actually does like body scans. So it'll do like the fat breakdown versus the muscle. So he'll get that on a monthly basis and see how he's doing. But outside of like actually having something like that to measure, it's a decent amount of work to figure out like how much your, your body fat percentage is. There are things like you can measure like your neck size and things like that. But most people aren't going to go out of their way to do that. They step on the scale, then they tell themselves a story about the number they see and then they step off.
0: Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I, I have this thing where I avoid the scale when I'm on a downward spiral because I just don't want to mm-hmm. face it because I know that it's going to depress me. But I also know that mentally, I don't have the motivation to change that. Yeah. Mm. So I tend to avoid it. But there's other telltales, you know, it's like your clothes not fitting you and all that kind of thing. So you can't avoid it completely.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very hard to avoid when your your clothes start feeling differently than yep. they used to.
0: And I'm, I'm on camera like this all the time. So I'm constantly seeing my face. So I know, I know. Okay, yeah, I know. I put on weight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I actually, I never like notice my, like my face shape change. Like that's not something that in my head I see. Okay. Like, I don't know why. It's not something I notice. But like so I do use the scale because for me, what happens is like this, we've had this conversation, right? Like that I've tried to put on body fat because I stop menstruating when I'm below a certain I mean all females do. Uh when you're below a certain percentage body fat, your menstruation disappears. And I find that to be unhealthy when I can't like when I don't have a regular cycle. And it's still not as regular as I would like, and I need to adjust that with my diet. But for me, it's a battle to make sure I continue to have enough body fat in order to keep menstruating versus like, we were talking about like, can I just take all of like the weight that you're trying to lose so that I can have my menstruation back? So I think it's like very interesting the way um, we like approach dieting and food and weight from two different
0: angles. Definitely. (laughs) Because I think like for me, it's very easy to put on the weight and it's um, it's actually easy for me to lose it as well. But for me, it's mm-hmm. a mental challenge a lot more than anything yeah. else. It's It's a mental challenge and motivation. Once I find and have that motivation and focus, I can do it easily. But I know it's a losing battle at the moment because my motivation is somewhere else at the moment.
1: Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. Do you feel like knowing that it's like quote unquote easy to lose the weight is like part of the challenge is like oh I can always lose it later.
0: You know I don't even think about that in the moment. <laughs> I, I literally I don't even like what I've been thinking about recently is that yeah I picked up weight and yeah I I want to ch- like get back to a healthier lifestyle, but my focus right now is to love myself as I am because mm. that has always been an issue. I don't want to associate how thin or how overweight I am with how my relationship I have with my body so right now my focus is on oh my face is a little chubbier but that makes me look a bit younger as well and I like Mm. that you know and I'm like oh I'm like I can wear all these curvy clothes right now and this is fun I I enjoy this and you know I can be more confident even wearing like crop tops at this weight just be confident to because I always admire other people who do it and I'm like why can't I do it yes so I've been just being in that mindset rather than thinking, oh, I'll lose the weight later. It's more like, for me, it's not even about the weight loss anymore. It's more about the healthier lifestyle. That's the goal. The goal is the healthier lifestyle. And I feel like that starts with accepting and loving myself at any size and and going from there. Yeah, I love that, right? The weight is just a number that helps you measure
1: where you are in your your health journey. But like, I agree, right? Like sometimes having the extra weight does like have like you have more curves and you feel like you look younger and all of those are like super important. So it's more about how you interpret it than it is about trying to hit. First of all, like most numbers are like because somebody else told you that that was your ideal weight for whatever reason it is. And that may or may not be what actually feels good in your body. And like I've been where I've weighed 114 like super fit or... I've been super sick and at 113. And those are two very different feels in my body, but they're almost exactly the same weight. Like the muscle mass, I know you try to like convert into yeah. the, <laughs> the metrics. Um, but like, that's like the lowest I'm willing to let my body go in terms of weight because I am 5'6". So I will just be bones <laughs> after a certain extent. But that's like... The number doesn't help me decide how healthy I am because I get down to 113 either with like starving myself or like I've been like, I actually like had the stomach flu and vomiting it all out. So, and not being able to keep anything down. And that's how I end up at that weight sometimes. And I'm like, this is no good at all. I don't, I I don't even have enough body fat to be warm. Like I have to be under like two layers of covers and turn the heat on when I'm like that.
0: I totally feel you. Um, So wait, sorry, let's go back. I want to know what were those numbers again? So you said. So like 113, 114. So that is like the tooth thin for you.
1: Yeah. It's like my baseline. If I was super, super like fit from a muscle standpoint, 114 is still reasonable. Like before I eat, before I break my fast. But I also don't remember if I had consistent periods when I was at that weight. Right. And that's where I get concerned because that's all muscle weight at that point. I probably didn't have any body fat on me. This was when I first moved to Arizona. So adjusting to the summer heat and I was in the color guard. So we were exercising for like at least eight hours a week, if not more when we had football games to play. So like that was probably the most physically fit I've been but I know for a fact my diet was shit. Like I was eating candy for breakfast and like mac and cheese for dinner and like all the carbs in the world. So as much as I was like, oh, that was pro-, like, I'm capable of getting down to that weight with a bunch of muscle, I know that underlying that like the diet was not doing what it needed to be. And the fact that I can't even remember what my periods were like back then tells me that I probably wasn't having them. Probably not.
0: But what, so what is your ideal weight then, like for you? Yeah.
1: So now, in order to maintain my period, I aim for 118. Just doing the maths. Okay. And what's
0: your height? Five, six. Okay. So you're much, yeah, you're taller than me quite significantly. Yeah. yeah.
1: So like the bone mass already adds to like how much the weight is. So like, yeah. My weight swings between summer and winter, about 10 pounds a year. And my doctor was surprised by that. And I was like, well, it just is like, because in the summer, like there's a bit of like summer body, like Mm. whatever. But it's also just because in the winter I get so cold. I'm like, I'm going to put on more weight just so that I'm
0: not cold. (laughs) A hundred percent. And I feel like that's just natural. We all pick up weight in the winter. Actually, so what I was going to say, this is interesting statistics for me because my ideal weight for my size, like if you look at the BMI calculator, it says a hundred pounds <laughs> is my ideal weight. But the lowest I've ever been, and I was actually quite comfortable at this weight. I, you know, I felt comfortable, I felt healthy, and I actually felt like I weighed too little. I felt like the number was really low. Mm. That was one hundred and twenty-one was my lowest weight. And my face was super thin at that time as well. Like, oh my God, so thin. Like, I cannot imagine going past that point (laughs) for me. No,
1: and like, that's that's the reason why like BMI doesn't really make sense because it's like, it's different based off of your body type. And there's actually, there is a version of BMI that's meant for Asians. Okay, like- there is a different scale when you are Asian than whatever, like I assume BMI is built for like white Americans. Like, don't.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I could see that. I do come from a family of curvaceous women. And I know like whenever I used to lose weight, one of my grandmothers, she would see it like my, my face gets really thin. Mm-hmm. And I think my, my grandmother was alive. Well, I had two. One passed away that triggered the series of events and right. the other one passed away a couple of years ago now. My other grandmother, whenever she, she saw me at that weight, 55, and every time I was speaking to her, she would be like, you're getting too thin, your face is going to get too thin, you're going to look sick, stop. And she was right though, she was right. I have the pictures, I can show them to you. My face was like a bone, like it was Bro. so thin, like the rest of me was healthy, I still had like natural arm flab. Right. I still had a little bit of a tummy, not like it wasn't flat, it wasn't like a huge, t- it was like, I would say mm. it was like an, a normal, <laughs> a normal or Like, to you, like, like, yeah. <laughs> Flat is not normal, guys, first that's of all. It, exactly. <laughs> like, for me, like, yeah, there was a little bit of fat on my belly, but it was like, I was a size eight, for Kong, like a UK mm. size eight. And that's like, honestly, that's the tiniest I want to go. I don't want to go less than yeah, a size Yeah, that's eight. already like pretty small. So let's not. It was small. Uh, yeah, exactly. It was tiny. So physically, I would not want to go smaller than that even though like I feel like even though at that weight there would still be some people who would think that I was not thin <laughs> because you know that's the idea of what thin means and looks like conventionally is so so specific it's like you're either you're either a stick or you're fat that's how it, it tends to be yeah it,
1: it's it becomes one or the other but I like talking about the fact that you know to judge based off of your face where you really are for you right like i think it sounds like it's might be something where like it's better for people to understand for themselves like where does weight usually come and go the fastest on your body so and use that as your indicator because it's different for everyone and this is like, this is the sad part where you like you can't take the generic advice. It, like it can be freeing, but it can also be like, okay, great. Now I got to figure out just for me. Nobody can give me the answers. But I love that at least with you, you had your grandmother to say, right? Because she understood what runs in the family or she's seen it with other relatives. Yeah. So she could say for us, this is what this should look like. And you are yes. going too
0: far. Yes. And honestly, she would be the only one to tell me that because the rest of the family was so pro being skinny. They would celebrate it when she would be the only one who would be like, please don't get too thin. Wow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and this was I wanted to talk about this is like the contradictory feelings. Right. Of like even if at a younger age you got taught about like balanced nutrition, It sounds like from a cultural standpoint, like the foods that you guys ate at home and like what everybody ate, right, would have contradicted that anyway. And that's not something we can expect children to be able to take the two and then like make up their Mm -hmm. own minds about how much they're going to eat of a given food. They're just going to eat however their family tells them to. And some people get raised. Let me ask, actually, were you raised where you had to like eat everything off your plate?
0: Yes. For a certain period of time, yes. Like when we were really small. And yeah, it was definitely encouraged when we were older, but we had more control of it then. But I also just want to go back to that speaking point of like the culture we were raised in, because even though I was one of the kids who, and quite a few of my cousins were like, as male and female, we would really enjoy the food and eat and overeat and overindulge. And a lot of us were overweight kids. There were some cousins who would actually stop themselves. And how did you find out about that? Well, one of them was my age, and I like she was like super skinny, like like a hundred pounds. she was like always a hundred pounds. That was like her goal weight, and that's where she stayed and i I remember how obsessive she was about that. and I just remember like when we would all sit down to eat, she would eat like a tiny amount and she wouldn't eat half the things and you know mm. like she should like really control what she ate. So that was like more of an obvious thing tell to me. But then there was another cousin who um, would make it very obvious and like she would skip lunch a lot, like she wouldn't Mm -hmm. eat at all. And she would like, she would just say it to us, like she's not eating and everyone could see she wasn't eating and she was, Mm -hmm. again, she was also about a hundred pounds, maybe even less. She was so thin. Yeah. And it was, it became even more noticeable because once she got married, She went the opposite way where she like, oh, she's got the guy now. She's like off that (laughs) age. And she packed on the weight like crazy after that. Uh. And a lot of the girls in my school as well, growing up in the same culture as me, because I went to a Muslim school, which was like Indian, Mm -hmm. South African Muslim school. Very, very, very niche school. (laughs) Yes, very specific. Very specific. (laughs) And all the girls there would have unhealthy eating habits as well. There was a girl who would, every time she eats the chocolate, she would do like a hundred sit-ups. Whoa. Yeah.
1: I can't even do a hundred sit-ups. <laughs> so I'm imagining that. <laughs> also, like, this is the thing, guys. Like, If you imagine like, oh, you ate a donut and then you're going to go exercise it off. That's not how this works. No, it's not. <laughs> like, it's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, because your biggest lever for weight, and like weight by itself, not like any other health goal is your diet so technically the starving yourself thing works but like what was your reaction at that age when you saw your cousins doing this or your classmates doing this
0: i'll be honest it never actually clicked in my head that i should be doing that Mm. i don't know why like i knew i was overweight and i knew i needed to like lose the weight and get healthy and i would as a teenager especially go on like crash diets I did at some point lose a lot of weight. But you never thought I should starve myself. No, I couldn't. I physically could never. until today. I can never starve myself. Like Mm -hmm. that is just something I cannot do. (laughs) Yeah. So it never occurred to me to even try it. It wasn't an option in my brain. I needed food. I loved food. I wasn't going to stop eating. (laughs) I, I think that's super important.
1: It's great that like the love of food helped you not starve yourself. I will admit in high school, I did like skip lunches on days that I didn't have to exercise. If I wasn't going to color guard, I w- skipped lunch because that was basically my allowance was the lunch money we had. So in order to like, I prioritize money and I was like, I'll eat on the days that I'm going to go to color guard practice. But on the other days, then I'll just chew some
0: gum and drink a lot of water. <laughs> I remember you telling me that <laughs> The chewing gum thing stuck out to me. Um, yeah, and things like that till today would not occur to me. Like even when I'm on a calorie deficit diet and I'm like, I would do things like drink tea or coffee, you know, to full myself up to make sure I stay in that deficit. But skipping meals, I would, you know, I when I'm in a calorie deficit, this is how I do it. I plan five meals a day five small meals a day. So I feel like I'm constantly eating and enjoying food throughout the day, but would my calories. Yeah. That's how I do it. Because if I have to skip a meal or, you know, like eat really tiny portions, my brain doesn't cope with that. It's like, I need to feel like I'm enjoying this part of my life <laughs> and not restricting myself. So like, I remember the coach I was working with, she would check like my food in my log. And she'd be like, Fifty percent of your food are snacks, and I was like, "Yeah, that's intentional." And she's like, oh, "Okay, that's fine. Like, as long as you know, it's like, no, that's intentional. Like, I would, I would plan it that way because that's how my brain wants it." <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay, I love that. That like she said this. And then once you said it was intentional, she's like, as long as you know that you're doing this, it's not like you're accidentally and then logging it just because it already happened. You planned it that way. I do want to circle back because I'm not sure everybody knows. What is a calorie deficit?
0: Oh, yeah, of course. So when you're in a weight loss mode, you advise to eat a little bit less than the calories that your body needs. And this is something that I would highly, highly recommend not calculating yourself because a lot of people go on the extreme end of eating way too little and that can end up having the reversed effect that you want and just not being good for you anyways. Um, So I always, always get that number from a coach or from a doctor or from an expert and work with that number. But basically it is, you know, it is Calculated so our body needs a certain amount of calories every day, and it's calculated to be maybe 500 calories less than that a day to help you to lose weight healthily over a sustainable period of time. And they also recommend a lot of movement as well. But the movement, like this, is where my brain kind of, (laughs) kind of stopped. Like once I reached my goal weight, I was like, now I don't have to move anymore. (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. Big mistake. Yeah, that's, that's probably not what they intended. <laughs> no. No. You still got to move.
1: <laughs> yeah, like it should be, there are two separate habits that you're, you're trying to use simultaneously to hit a goal, but like you should be maintaining actually both habits. Both. Right? Like when we say diet, it shouldn't be something where you adopt a diet and then stop when you hit right. your weight goal. That's like what we really mean when we say like fad diets is because you give it up as soon as you hit a goal and then you you end up progressing. So it's really more of a lifestyle change. and yes, like that can be hard when you tie the habit to a goal. a
0: hundred percent. Yeah. so like I was talking about the calorie deficit. So you eat less than your body needs. And then the reverse of that is once you hit your goal weight, you don't suddenly just start eating a normal amount. There's something that people call reverse dieting, where you slowly increase your calories over a period of time to get to that healthy calorie goal for yourself. Right. To balance yourself. To balance yourself. But I need to also stress (laughs) that those lifestyle changes you make in the way and what you eat need to be consistent afterwards as well. Cause like you said, yeah, they lifestyle changes, they not a diet. Yeah. So that balance you find between healthy and unhealthy, the portions, the, you know, the vegetables can't just stop.
1: <laughs> it's not Oh, no, and I love that of like, I've never heard that before of doing a reverse diet, right? We only talk about how to do the calorie deficit. We don't go, oh, and then when you do, you get to increment yourself back up to the calorie balance, right? Yep. Of like the minimum your body needs.
0: Yeah, exactly. that's the healthy way to do it because your body doesn't get like a shock from, oh, I was eating like 500 calories less and now I've got all this food to eat. Right. Like, what do I do with this? Where do I put it? (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's... Okay.
1: So I'm so glad that you worked with coaches and got expert advice. I
0: guess I want to ask what actually like made you pull the trigger on getting a coach? So I was doing it on my own for a long time and then I kind of got stuck. I hit a plateau and I, I couldn't get out of it. And then I went to Portugal to like this yoga retreat and it was like all these hot, skinny people all around me. <laughs> okay. Yes. And I, I felt so awkward on that trip, like so uncomfortable. I had a great trip, by the way. It was great. I enjoyed it so much. I just didn't feel comfortable in my body and I felt a bit awkward. And Coming back from that trip was when I decided to get help. And you know how Facebook kind of knows what you're looking for? Like they just know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you were probably messaging us about it on, on Facebook Messenger. So <laughs> actually, yeah.
0: thing, I think this was before I met you guys. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, this was like ages ago, actually. Yeah. I think this was way before my business started. But yeah, so Facebook showed me this ad of this coaching company and they were actually giving away two weeks of free coaching. And I was like, all right, let's see what they are bought. Let's meet with them. And when I did meet with them, they actually ticked a lot of my boxes of what I was looking for in a coach. And I was like, okay, two weeks of free trial. Let's, let's check it out. Loved it and worked with them till I hit my goal. And honestly, I would go back to them once I'm mentally and financially ready to go back to them, I would go back to them to get myself back in order because I got great results with them last time.
1: Do you feel like
0: the financial investment factored into your ability to reach your goals? Yes and no, because um, fun fact is I actually did invest in a coach last year, again, a different coach, and I paid her a lot of money and I thought that would help. I was not mentally ready for it. I was not. Uh, I was just not in that place. And even though I got results with her it wasn't sustainable for me because I just wasn't ready for that change so it had to be two things I had to know when I'm mentally ready for it and the financial commitment does help but only when I'm mentally ready for the change otherwise nothing's gonna help me
1: so how will you know you're ready next
0: time oh at the moment I think you know TJ I'm going through some mental strains at the moment where my mind's a bit too scattered. So I think once I sort that part of my life out and learn how to to function, (laughs) basically, I think then I'll feel a bit more confident that I can be hyper-focused on two things at one time. Because I go, like when I get obsessed with something and my health and fitness would be an obsession, I get super laser-focused and super obsessed with it. And right now that obsession is all in my business and I don't know how to to split that focus into separate things. Hmm. So I think once I learn how to do that and feel confident that I can do that, then I will be ready.
1: Yeah, I, I love that because like even I would say... If there's some aspect of your life that you're focusing on growing or improving, like until you systemize that, it's really hard to be like working on something else at the same time. So I think it makes a lot of sense to say, let me focus on this one area of my life first, get that to where you're you're happy with it, it's in some kind of steady state, and then as you like, especially in your business, right? Then you can once you have new systems, new processes, you delegate them. and and hire some people and make that a little bit more stable, then you can definitely start putting a lot more mental energy into your health or whatever other area comes up for you uh, and and make that a goal. But it's not like, it's never a good idea regardless of like, so we're, we're talking about like, whether or not you're neurodivergent or not, like you need to understand that if you try to solve like three different life problems at the same time, it's, not gonna like yield the same results as if you just focus on the one.
0: No, and and like it's for me as well. It's like a lot of my business is on its own, like functioning on its own right now. Like I've got a lot of systems. I've got the help in place. My issue is where my passion lies. So my passion still lies solely in the business right now. And I've lost the motivation for any other part of my life. (laughs) yeah Yeah. so that's it so for me it's like when I get that motivation back and when I learn how to spread my motivation into more than one place at a time I'll know I'll be ready to do it properly again but in the meantime I'm just trying to be like I'm trying to be sensible and not like overeat and go on like right you're you're setting like
1: boundaries for yourself and reasonable
0: expectations Mm. of
1: like where your health should be based off of the level of effort you put into it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So I'm just trying to be more reasonable and also just be kind to myself as well. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, this has been a great discussion, Hannah.
1: As closing, I do usually ask my podcast guests, what about the way you were raised would you change or keep? if you were to raise your own kids or to give advice on how to raise kids? Uh, Can I say everything?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Pick one thing. Fine. (laughs) It's something my husband and I talk about a lot, but I feel like I would want to have, want to encourage very open communication in our household. And it's something my husband and I already do between ourselves and my cats. (laughs) They understand me. Yes. My cats understand English. <laughs> we, we have a very open communication and that means that you feel what you feel. You need a time out. You take a time out. You can express what you need and the other person will respect that. And that's the kind of household I want. For me, it's very important that the home is your safe place. Yes, And it's a place that you can come home to because that's not what it was for me. And so it'll be very important that whoever we bring into this house is happy to be in the home and feel safe in our home and feel able to express themselves as a human in our home. So that's the biggest thing I would change. Yeah.
1: All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, Will you remind our guests where they can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. Go
0: to Facebook, Wildfire Purpose Production or TikTok, Wildfire Purpose Production. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. I know
1: that something in this episode left you feeling, oh my God, that's so me. And I want to hear about it. Leave a review on iTunes or tag me on social media and share your relatable story with us so that we can normalize our experiences as Asian Americans and help more people feel safe to step outside of the box. I can't wait to hear about it. You can find me on Instagram at tj.wey and don't forget to design your abundant life.